Hi, this is Doug. Hi, it's Moshe. Let me send it over to Neil. Hey, guys. Don't do me any favors. <laughs> send it over. Hey, uh, all right, Neil, my dates are as follows. September 13, 14, 15, and we'll go with 16. I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. at the Improv. Fuck with me there. And then I'm going to be in uh, Toronto for the Just for Laughs thing, uh, JFL42. Uh, that week, just go on their website, buy a pass. It's a good time. And over to you guys. Hey, it's Moshe. Uh, I'm going to be at that very same festival, Just for Laughs Toronto, September the 23rd, I believe, it, whatever that Saturday is. And that very same weekend, if you want to see me in L.A., I'll be at the Riot Comedy Festival as well. So Friday night L.A., Saturday night Toronto, Sunday night L.A. I'm so, so jet-setting. It's incredible. And fuck with my book on paperback. It comes out very soon. And also, the new Normal premieres on September 11th. So fuck with that. Hey, this is Doug. I'll, uh, on September 15th, I'll be at a place called Sync Space in Los Angeles, and that's a comedy noise show, and that's going to be wonderful. Also going to going to be in Australia with Tim and Eric at the end of September. Bye. And this is Larry Wilmore. Um, just watch Larry Wilmore's Race, Religion, and Sex on Showtime all this month, uh, end of August, all of September. No live dates. I just want niggas to watch my show. <laughs> We, we ha and ladies and gentlemen, we have our first Edward. Yes, sir. Hey, no, no, no. I, usually it's us, so thank God. Hey, let's start the champs, ladies and gentlemen. I like it when you say the Edward around oh, Okay, we can say it now. Oh, no, I know. I, I, now you're fucking with the champs. All right, guys. That was yeah, our. I say we could all. That was our most, our most over talky intro of all time. Uh, you guys, it's the Champs Podcast, and you're yeah, fucking with it. And it's don't make fun of me because I'm trying to maintain a modicum of professionalism. We are here in. Say it again. You guys. You guys, we're here on the lot in uh, Hollywood. Oh, we switched California. to the lot in Hollywood. We're no it's longer at my mansion. Super Someone called it my mansion in Venice. I was no. a little confused on the lot. I'm like, well, what lot? Yeah. The lot no, was the in Hollywood. Yeah, you're getting a little bit too casual. With we what? Do, we got to do this grand intro. No, Let, I know. Larry, that's you too. Hold on. Watch this. You're going to be so excited what oh, I'm okay. about to do. This Ladies and gentlemen, we got a very special guest here on the podcast today. You may remember him from such things as five seconds ago, talking with Neil, or he's got a brand new Showtime special out right now. He's the senior black correspondent on The Daily Show and a comedy legend. Put your hands together for Larry Wilmore. Larry Wilmore. You were great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Play that every time from now on. That's a great drop. All right, Larry. Well, first of all, you the credit you don't people. You I don't know what people lead. Now they know you from the Daily Show. Yes, but you and I and I'll explain this by way of anecdote. When I was pulling into the lot today, the security woman was like, "You got to park." in the structure and i was like i'm not parking in the structure i'm neil brennan i'm neil brennan i don't neil brennan don't park in no structure right uh and then she's <laughs> like well right. you don't can don't you know who i am so then uh so then i go uh can i park norm and and she's like well all right i'm gonna hook you up you can park normal you can park in vip but all your and i go well i have another some other people coming and she goes well, they're gonna have to park in the structure and i go can one of them park in VIP and I'll park in the structure. I wanted Larry to park in the okay. in in VIP because you're a VIP, I guess. And uh, this is a black woman, and she was kind of giving me the runaround. And I go, 
he created the Bernie Mac show. See? Okay? <laughs> Which you think, like, that's going to do it. And she goes, Did she put on a top hat? Dun, 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 dun. That's all you had to say. The uh, magic That's the way I feel. Usually that works. Um, but she was like, and why would you say that to me? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. She she said, why would you say that to me? That is a fair uh, and awesome and, question. And I said, you know what I said to her? I go, thought you might be a fan. Oh, that was the I right answer. Say, yeah. I didn't go, like, because. I just said, because I thought you might be a fan. And what did she say? Oh. Um, she said uh she sort of backed away and then to make it think to make it think i go he's also on the daily show daily to, show see, what the fuck is a motherfucking man, daily what show the fuck, man, I don't fuck with daily. <laughs> what day does man, it come on what time the fuck did come you on? say yeah. that to me no three black people we'll get to that later. watch the daily show yeah it's colin you, powell it's you wyatt seen heck and uh what's at any given time yeah three three total <laughs> legally so, it's it's usually yeah. uh so she's either one of the three or she's in that colin powell donna brazil Colin Powell doesn't watch the Daily Show. <laughs> you don't think so? I don't think so. Do you think he's like a hardcore Republican? I don't think Donna Brazil watches it either. But you don't a think lot so? of those political people, some of them are humorless, man. They yeah. have no sense of humor. Some do. Uh, all right, so Larry Wilmore. Yeah. You grew up uh, in As Los we Angeles. Do. In Pomona. Um, into like a ni- in nice people? Uh, where I grew up or my no, family? No, no, your family. Why would you say that to me? <laughs> exactly. That guard is my aunt. I want you to know. <laughs> so she raised me. Just so you know who you're talking to. Um, yeah, you know, it's the same thing. You know, everybody's fucked up. Nobody knows it. Everybody's funny, but they don't know why. All that kind of stuff. Uh, parents got divorced when I was young, but... Your fault. It was completely my fault, right? <laughs> which they let me know all the time. And now they spend more time together than they did when they were married. Do they really? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Why? I, I don't know. It's just very uncomfortable. Do they, mm-hmm. is it like at events or they'll just kick it? No, they, they just spend <laughs> at time events? together. And like at like christening, shit no. like that, whatever your religion well, is. Well, I'll tell you what's horrible too is when you catch your old parents having sex. That's not good. Hmm. Have you caught that? No, but my brother did. How old were they? Uh, like this is recent. This is the last couple of years. That's How, gotta hurt. Wow. That's, that's the fucked good. up shit right there, man. That's li- exactly. That's literally <laughs> gotta hurt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that literally does. You know how you're hurt. not supposed to look at an eclipse, <laughs> 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 and you find ways to say, well, maybe if I bounce the eclipse off of yeah, the cardboard of it, yeah. or I do this. No, there's oh, so no, there's no combination of looking at an eclipse that is ever good <laughs> for it. So you walked it's into your parents point. having sex at 80 years no, no, old no, with tin foil on yes, a ca- exactly. piece of cardboard, looking at it backwards, yeah. like, and ah. it was still like had, a huge amount of and light hitting your brother. Welder's glasses on. Still, I see how I was made. It's like the Pulp Fiction thing of just like cannot see anything. It's those uh, Tex Avery eyes. <laughs> when did you start doing stand-up? I started in the early 80s. Okay. Yeah. And you were... Did Back you, when Reagan was president in chief. Uh, and you were relatively... You were successful pretty quickly? Well, um, I had kind of a dual career. I was uh, I was a theater major in school, and I started as an actor and a comedian. So I, would, I did stand-up, but then I also, you know, did acting stuff. But I kind of kept it separate, that kind of thing. Um, so I did theater and that kind of stuff, too, along the same time. But um, I was successful pretty quickly in terms of headlining clubs and that kind of stuff. But back how then, quickly? Like in two years, I was headlining. Yeah, after great. I was doing it. But back then, and back then they would just take your word for it. 
If you were like no, no, me, no. if you had an LA credit, that was the key. LA credit, like like I was the from improv, LA, or you were from LA and you were past. I was past. from LA and I had appeared on the Facts of Life. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I swear to God, that was that was all oh, I needed. Oh, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Facts of Life. Oh, you're in. Just I come the, right in. I heard this What's great. What's Tootie like? I heard this great <laughs> story about the Facts of Life. Uh, what was the uh, cerebral palsy person's name? Uh, uh, Jerry. Uh, Jerry Jewell. Who Jerry did Jewell, who did right. stand up right? Yeah. Right, so right, I heard right. this story uh, recently at work with the uh, Brody Stevens was on stage at the comedy store. Right. And he was like, I, I don't know what's happening, but somebody started heckling him. It was just like, you aren't funny. Like that. And he goes, what are you, Jerry Jewell over there? And she stood up and she's like, I am Jerry Jewell. Awesome. And it was her. Oh, my God. And the irony is that the intuition, but you're my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you take the she good, was, you take the bad. She was only mad for a second. I have a, uh, I have a tootie story. Oh, I uh, it's, I'll try to make it as short as possible. Kim Fields mm-hmm. at the 50th anniversary of <laughs> the Facts of Life. Um, well, no, uh, 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 at the, there was like an NBC 50th anniversary thing celebration, and they had all the all the stars from from all of NBC. Right, and it was shot in the SNL studios. And my friend Mike Sure was working on it. Oh yeah, Mike. And yeah, oh, oh yeah, Mike you know Mike office. from the Office. Yeah, yeah. so. Sure, and Higgins were pro- Higgins from right. uh, Jimmy Show mm-hmm. were producing the segment where the segment was Kim Field stands up and goes like, "Hey, I can't. Uh, I have bad seats. I can't see." Right. And then uh, and they're like, "Sorry, miss. There's nothing we can do." And then you hear Tracy Morgan off screen go, "Yo, that's Tootie. <laughs> Yo, that's Tootie, man. Yo, that's Tootie." Then they cut to Tracy like, "You don't have any idea who you deal with? That's Tootie right there." So they do the rehearsal. Afterward, uh, Kim Fields goes to Sure and Higgins and Tracy like, hey, guys, can I talk to you for a second? Hey, just so you know, like, I'm like an adult and like I'm not Tootie. I'm, that was a character I played. I'm like a director. I'm a mother. I'm a ton of things. So so if you just if you please uh, wouldn't mind calling me Kim Fields. And they're all right. like, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, no problem. She walks away and Tracy goes. Tootie, right? <laughs> <laughs> that bitch is Tootie, man. I don't care what uh, you like, know. Uh, that's Tootie. That's yeah, exactly like. some shit Tootie would say. <laughs> Facts of life. Oh, there you go. Oh, thank you. Thank hey, you. that's my episode. Um, but, uh, those girls ate a lot. They had a huge uh, breakfast spread every morning. I did they really? They did. Hell yeah, they did. Shoveling food into them. Yeah. And, you know uh, this next comedian, he lives in Los Angeles, and you might know him from <laughs> The well, Facts of then, Life. But I bet they right. did know you from The Facts of Life, because... Yeah, like in in people when you went to shows, did people recognize you? No, it was it was good for the bookers. That's what yes. it was good for. But right. the people in the audience didn't know. Oh, not, they didn't know. Because I, I did a couple of uh, I I was on it like twice, but it wasn't that big a deal. People would not have known. Oh, okay. You know, I thought it was gonna be one of those things of like, honey. I got more juice from being on Star Search, the original Star Search. I was on a few episodes, and uh, I did this thing where I went to Korea to perform for the troops. This is like back in the late '80s, and, and everybody. This knew is during me. the Korean War. Go exactly. Ahead. This is the <laughs> Korean War. But uh, but I was more like known for a couple episodes of that than for anything I ever did. How far did you get? Uh, I just did like three episodes. Who who beat you? Michael Collier, the homeless. All right. Uh, the homeless. <laughs> yeah, he movie. ended up winning, right? But here's the thing. But I got to do a bit that I, you can never do today. I did uh, my impression of Ike and Tina Turner's last performance together. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I had like the wig on it. You couldn't see my face. I'm going like that. And you heard the pew. You know, during the song, like I choreographed it so it would come right on the beat. Do 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 do. 
Oh, that's great. And then, during that part, it go pew, pew, pew. And, and it's like, dance, bitch, and you heard, like, gunshots. <laughs> okay. I mean, I used to close my act with it. Cause of it course be, you did. But you could never do that joke today. No, you and couldn't I did it do it television. anywhere, let alone on television. Just think, after I did that bit, Cut to Eggman Man going, yes, very good. Oh very good. Uh, domestic God. violence. Ha, ha, ha. Yes. Come on. So you started doing well with the stand-up. Right? Hi-oh! <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as a stand-up, um, I, was, uh, I did a lot of political humor. I did uh, off-the-wall jokes. I did impressions. I had like a writer's act, kind of a hodgepodge act. It worked really well in That's clothes. a funny thing. Explain what you mean by writer's act. Writer's act really is an act of anything you find funny as right. opposed to an act that comes out of your persona and everything is geared towards that particular I, persona. That's fascinating. I've never heard that phrase before. It's yeah. a great phrase. That's why I made it yeah. repeat it because it is. Uh, I, did I ever tell you what Brewer said to me one time? Uh, me, Brewer, and Tracy were writing a movie one time and I pitched a joke to uh, Brewer and it was like a cutaway joke right. and I and he he was just going to react but it was a good joke and uh, Brewer goes that's a writer's joke man and right. I was literally like I don't even know what you're talking about and then during and then Chappelle finally the the point is Chappelle would go well what am I going to do during dur- if I would pitch a sketch he'd go like well what am I going to do during it meaning like funny for funny's sake right isn't helpful right. if you're and it's almost what Aziz was saying. Like you're, it's coming from you, whereas the joke about sheets can come from oh, anywhere. A hundred percent. I always say like, well, you know, you're getting your, to your voice as a comedian is when you stop being worried about uh, joke thievery because your jokes right. stop being sti- That's stealable. Very good point. The other thing was I had a little bit of both because the jokes were from my point of view, but they it didn't follow in one form. So some jokes were a completely different style than other jokes. Right. But it would still be me. You know, so it was, but it was all about domestic violence. It, that was that, sort of your that thing. Was the theme. I had abstract <laughs> domestic violence jokes. I had act outs of domestic violence. I had one liners of history. domestic violence. So called domestic violence. Knock right. knock, who's there, bitch? You know who the fuck this is. <laughs> but the key is though, when you can write a really good joke and it is in your voice, that's the best kind of. Right. Joke. Woody Allen was a good example of that of his stand-up. It's totally. in your voice. Yeah, but exactly. it's but it is yeah. joke it is joke set up punchline, but it's still a classically set up joke. Like I'll give an example. George Carlin's a great example of it. George Carlin had jokes, you know, but they were in his voice. So they don't sound like jokes because it's so in his voice. But those are jokes. If you look at a place for my stuff, that's carefully constructed. You know, that has a bit. Oh, yeah. But that's a fucking, that's a bit. A fat, exactly. chunky yeah, bit, right? That is a Absolutely. bit. That is like, the, but that's like the football. Right. I think we all might be talking thing. about like right. five shades of slightly different things. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's all so in that same Like area. later, George Carlin is yeah. not like, I wouldn't consider that like writer's jokes because that's just completely his like point of view on the world you know well i'm making a distinction between a a joke and something just being funny just from your voice oh i see oh i don't think so you know right that's not a joke that's Uh just somebody being funny okay it is it has to get a laugh if it doesn't get a laugh as chris rock said it's not a joke it's just a sentence Uh yeah (laughs) it's a it's a it's a it's a lecture if it doesn't get a laugh um and all right so then you Mm -hmm. and did you find that so here was the key so for my act, because of what it was, and at the time, Deaf Comedy Jam was just starting. That movement was yeah. Starting. So ninety ninety one. Yeah, around that time when I would have been gone up to whatever that next level, uh, when I would have gone up to whatever that next level is. Like I wasn't the type of comic who could audition for a show like In Living Color, but I could write for it. Yeah, we always talk about how on here, right, uh, in the black comedy world, right, 
being a writer is considered uh, second class. It's like a, it's like yeah. it's it's you perf- the all the all the all the premium is put on performing. Right. And then if you're like, oh, that motherfucker's a writer. Right. You know. But uh, Neil, I never I never worry about that kind of shit. You know, I just do what I do and just. But um, but I knew I I wanted to um eventually write and produce my own thing, so I had to learn how to do that. So you knew that from I the beginning. You oh, wanted absolutely. to make your own stuff. I had I had to create my own space. Yeah. But I feel yeah. like you just did it. Right. Meaning. Well, I've been doing it over like the last twenty years. Right, but I mean, right. in terms of Larry Wilmore, right. colon, it's right. never been that before, right? Right. It was. It was. All right, so let's talk about the writing. So you wrote for *In Living Color*, mm-hmm. the full, the whole time. No, that was uh, no. I started the second season, third season. Wrote for a couple of seasons, and then uh, went into sitcoms after that. What's, What's the craziest thing that happened during *In Living Color*? For uh, you? The you craziest know? thing? Well, you know, I was there when Jim Carrey first started talking out of his butt, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was crazy because it was tense because. Uh, yeah, there was like Jim was going through some contract stuff then, and and uh, we had a table read. And when we would have table reads, we would have like a packet of twenty five sketches, and right. the actors would look at it for the first time. And Jim Carrey was unbelievable. He would have a full, realized three dimensional character for each one he read upon first seeing it. Wow, I've never seen anything like that. And know? he wasn't getting tips like, "Hey, no, we're gonna nothing. have you do this." Nothing. It would be in the no. moment. He in the moment. He just he would just commit, and he would just be that right. Right. So uh, he was upset. So Keenan is at the head of the table, and Jim is is the the first position there. You know, it's a long writer's table. And uh, Jim Carrey gets up, and he starts doing the table read, the first sketch, out of his butt. And his butt is right next to Keenan's head. And everybody laughs at first. Was that a sketch? He ended up doing it on, in Ace he, Ventura, right? But he never yeah, did it as a sketch. Yeah, he probably did. I think he did do it in Ace Ventura. And that was after he did it on Living Color, by the way. Cause, oh, wow. Because he was writing that ad in Living Color with Steve O'Connor. So it didn't stick so, on In Living Color. <laughs> no, man. I'm telling you, it got quiet so fast after it was funny because Keenan was not fucking playing around. It yeah. Was, it was tense in there. And uh, I was like, man, how long is he going to do it? Jim Carrey committed. The whole bit. He kept doing it. Can you imagine doing that right in front of the showrunner's face? You're in just like, and I you're just like yeah. Well, the good thing is he cheek. can't see him. Did he pull his pants down? No, 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 no. Okay, no, just no, did no. them. No, 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 no. He, he just did like a dress no rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was funny too. I couldn't believe that he did it. It was, it was <laughs> and for I guess the writers. He, it was he had to have been yelling. Yeah, well, you know, he's doing it. Let me show you how to You know, yeah, But the butt is doing it real fast, you know, or whatever. Yeah, uh, okay, and then what sitcom did you write Fire Marshal Bill through the bed. So, um, uh, first one was Sister Sister with uh, T and Tamara Mallory. Of course. Who are like sure, I know Sister uh, Sister. Stars now. Yeah. Did you, how long did you write there for? Two seasons. Um, what did you like about, did you, what, what, what made you want to leave in Living Color and then go there? Well, it was time to move on. I always had goals of what I wanted to do, and two years in sketch was long enough. Yeah. And, and so I knew I needed to get to sitcoms, you know. So, um... I got a job at uh, Sister Sister, and you know it was kind of a um, goofy type of sitcom. But I worked with Cy Rosen, who started on the new on the original Bob Newhart show, and he was great. Working under him, you just learned everything about. Sitcom. He was the head writer. Of Sister he was the showrunner, head writer. And were you a staff, just a staff writer? Or I did started you as a story editor, and then I moved to executive story editor, co-producer. And I think when I left, I was a producer. So. And 
So and you didn't you just liked you didn't mind writing like it's basically a family no, no. show, right? No, well you have to learn how to do it. You know, you have right. to learn the form. So it's really almost irrelevant what type of show you're working on in the beginning. You just want to get the experience of how to do it. How do you even put a thirty minute show together? You right. Know, taking notes from the network, those types of things, show night. I mean, all of those things are skills that you need to learn before you can even aspire to <laughs> to try to write for something. Yeah, what do you think whatever, the you know? the mo- five most important things you learned if you can if like if you have a like a because that's an interesting thing. Right. It is like a, it's act breaks, shit like that that Absolutely. people don't even think about. Uh, rewriting is number one. It's the most important thing you have to learn as as a writer in television. Because uh, I was my favorite expression that I made up. That's why it's my favorite. You can't reschedule Monday. Monday's coming whether you like it or not. Right. right. You got a show to put on. If you got to stay up all night Sunday, you got to do it. Yeah. And rewriting is one of the most critical things that you have to do at some points. When I did, um, you're talking about multicam television. I'm talking right about any kind of television. You know. When you say you have a show, you, have, you mean you just you well, you may have to film the next right. day. Right. Yeah, I mean camera. Monday, even if yeah. you're single camera, they're not going to go. Right. You know what? Let's yeah, we'll push take it this day off. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it, it's coming. You have to. You have to get it ready. So um, you have to make critical decisions. You know, with a lot of pressure on your shoulders. So, like, there may be a decision where you may have to change an entire act. That requires a lot of critical thinking. Now, that critical thinking comes from the skill of having done it. What should this act be? What's the best type of structure for this to be in order to get us to the third act? I mean, simple, bare questions like that. Not even you're not even to the point of what's funny yet. And do you have? You know. Do you feel like you had good instincts for that from stand up and from in living color and from no, theater and all that? Theater, theater gave me the good instincts for that. Um, uh, stand up and a living color gave me the instincts to be fearless in pitching. So, like most right. most sitcoms, you you pitch a story now and then. In Living Color, I was pitching every day, like 10 yeah. ideas. So I went in to pitch the sitcoms. The first day, I'm pitching like 13 stories ideas. Like, motherfucker, calm down. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> you, know? you know, so, 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 so the listeners know uh, a lot of times the way, the way that a, room will, a writer's room will work on a show is there'll mm-hmm. be a guy who's in charge and a group of writers sitting around right. the table. And they're, they'll start pitch, pitching jokes, throwing them out, right. or pitching stories. To, it's called what? Breaking, breaking mm-hmm. stories. Breaking stories, right. So, you know, the, the episode that you just watched of Parks and Rec or whatever, somebody, they they wrestled that out around a table, and somebody said, well, I think right. maybe Amy Poehler goes to the doctor that day, and then somebody mm-hmm. goes, that's great, what if she goes to the OBGYN, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. Right, That that's one way that it's done sometimes. And did you do it in a small, like you just pitched to the EP? Uh, yeah, on, in, on Sister, Sister, I, I was really lucky that I um, I was able to work on several shows that were at the start, so I got to see how shows actually began, you know, right, right from the beginning. Sister Sister was one of those, so I was able to contribute ideas in that beginning. Which Who was, was your favorite sister, sister or sister? Sister. <laughs> sister was my favorite. Great. Well, Thank I didn't like her, honestly. She yeah. had attitude. She did have two, but that's why I liked her. Yeah, all right, I get it. <laughs> she yeah. was, she had sass. She and had you can't, sass. You know what? You but can't, sister you was, can't you spell can't sass without ass is all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't reschedule sass. <laughs> right. She's, sass she's is coming. What, 13? I'm saying ass. Right? That's terrible. Also, but we don't so know who you're talking about. She's not 13 about. anymore. Domestic like violence and 13-year-olds. No, she's not 13 That's anymore. taken away from the podcast. It's like when Pee Wee Herman was busted for having uh, naked pictures of children that had been dead for like 100 years. Really? You didn't hear about that? After the, the movie dead theater. Dead for 100 years? What I'm saying is he had... He had antique photos of naked p- children, but these were people that had grown <laughs> up and died. You <laughs> well, know what I'm guy, saying? Maybe he thought there was a statute of limitations. Or well, that must have <laughs> a very bizarre Did idea. Did he plead that? They, he tried to, but it's illegal regardless, which is a very odd idea. That's these bizarre. are like people that became 80 and then died, and now it's like you know what's no, funny? Someone listening to this right now is like, wait a minute. Yeah, or that sounds odd. Someone's googling. Yeah, they're not six anymore. They're yeah. 80. Oh yeah. 
It's weird because they're old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so so sister sister for a couple years. Right, sister sister. Then I uh, worked on a Fresh Prince for a season. Um, actually, quit Fresh Prince. Um, How come? Because uh, it was a tough situation. Will's uh, ex-manager. Uh, was the great Benny Medina. No, no, no. It wasn't Benny. No. Uh, it was someone else. But uh, he was running the show, and it was just a debacle. It was not good. And uh, we were up late. Oh, I think I know who it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, <coughs> but Will was really cool and everything. I said, man, I can't work for your boy, man. I got to go. <laughs> and he was like, I, you know, I ain't mad at you. You know, we had a good discussion about it. You know, I said, I just can't work like this. And so... Um, and I've seen Will since we've done stuff together. He's been great. You know, it wasn't like any big deal. It was the right. only job I ever quit. When you How did you get your very first TV gig? Uh, it was Into the Night with Rick Dees, actually. How did you get it? Um, I As a writer? As a writer, yeah. Well, that job was just basically writing jokes for late night. So all I had to do was submit jokes. And he was like, it was like a late night talk show? It was a late night talk show. And a friend of mine was uh, working on the show at the time, and they were looking for writers. And at that, I had just made the decision to start writing for TV. And I was pretty lucky. I made the decision in like a... M like three weeks later, I got a job, so I was very fortunate. And so then you could just make later, a decision, and then you're like, "I'm gonna make, I'm gonna work for TV." And then you just get it. That's how it works. That's Actually, nice. that's, that's, that's how it works that's, for everybody. That's how my career has, has kind of worked, where I put it out there, and then somehow it just kind of that door somehow opens, and I just have to recognize that's the door. You know? That's nice. Yeah, it must yeah. be nice. D when you were yeah. around Will Smith, did you think to yourself, "Oh, this guy's got it so, to such a degree; he's gonna be." A huge, huge star. He was right on the verge. Men in Black had not come out yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, you more of a Jazzy Jeff guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you write when Jazzy Jeff gets thrown out? Was that your idea? No, 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 no. What I a wish, classic piece I wish of I would have written more of the Fresh Prince <laughs> classic stuff. I was thinking it'd be but funny it. now if you did a sitcom and you just had Jazzy Jeff on as a character. And you threw him right. out. Like, no, this is my friend Jeff. <laughs> and you never explain why. Like, um, no, it's just my friend. But he's you know what? Carlton is still wildly popular from that show. It's of that course. Well, because he's a dance. And it's, it's also and I, it's also a type. Yeah, it's a snap. You'd be like, look at Carlton right. over here. And the truth is, the arc funny. He was funny, yeah. funny actor. Yeah. Yeah, the, and the archetype of that guy doesn't mean as much anymore. Yeah. Like, the, oh, that guy's a white acting black guy. I feel like that's not at the time in the early '90s. It was more of like a whoa, look at that. Now yeah. I just feel like the culture, black culture, all cultures become so diffuse that it's less of a like, cult, like wow, check it out or whatever. Right. But at the time, I think that's that's why it struck a, a chord. Um, and Jazzy Jeff, by the way, is one of the best DJs I've ever live DJs I've ever seen. Him and Questlove do live shows He's that are apparently bananas. Genuinely incredible. Yeah. I believe it. Um, all right, so so Will, then you mm -hmm. left there. Then I uh, did a show called The Show for a short time. Oh, I remember that. Remember that? Maestro yeah. Clark. Yeah, Maestro and uh, Maestro? Sam Cedar. <coughs> and Sam Cedar, right. Yeah. He's doing uh, radio and stuff now. Uh, Sam Cedar was, uh, I was roommates with him wow. right after he did the show. And there was a joke Which from show? the show. I have, was good, I have a good story from that channel. Okay, good. Uh, we'll tell yours. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. His, that, there was just a punchline. The show was about a white guy who was right. in charge of a black sketch show. Right. So you would think, like, oh, it's right That's up my alley. Yeah. yeah. Neil's uh, like, I can never relate to that. <laughs> no, that should have been my I'll favorite. I'll never be able to when relate to that. When people ask me, what's your favorite sitcom? <laughs> uh, Seinfeld, The Cosby Show. No, the show. Right, exactly. Uh, it was, there were 13 of them, but they're all, they're gems. Right. Uh, no, there was a joke where... Um, uh, the black dudes that there was like seven black dudes in every right. scene, seven black dudes and Sam in every scene. Right, exactly. And one of the jokes was that they had rented movies, uh, and the line was he came in and threw the movie down and goes, "Platow, Porkies." 
<laughs> Wait, I may have written that's a that. No, that's what's yeah, great that's about it. Plat out porgies. So I straight joke. up once a week, I will go like plat out porgies that's to myself. I actually may have written that joke. <laughs> that's a really good joke. Plat out porgies. It sounds like something. Plat out porgies. Plat out. That was actually a fun show. Was it? Oh, and now here's the thing about it. This is how Hollywood works, right? So John Bowman, who created the show, he created Martin. And yes. John, I knew from Living Color. And uh, <coughs> so uh, he was looking for, there was the part of the sidekick to Sam. He was like this crazy writer. He was kind of out of control. And so uh, John uh, was watching tapes of people from New York, and he saw this one actor who he thought was great. You know, He was really funny, had a lot of energy. And Fox was like, well, he's not good looking enough for television. Right. That was their criterion, that sure. he wasn't good looking. Yeah. They kept saying that. And John's like, you know, well, can I just sign him to do the, uh, oh, and he had to let his uh, contract uh, um, elapse or something like that, right? And then uh, they couldn't find anybody. And then he said, look, can I, can I please have this guy? And they said, all right, fine, but we're still not sure about him. And so when he went back to the actor, the actor said, well, I'll only do the pilot. I really don't want to do the series. And John couldn't do anything at this point because he had to beg him to do the pilot, right? Because right? the actor was, doing, was interested in doing other stuff. So he does the show and he kills. He just destroys. He's like the funniest thing on the show. This is for the white guy part. This is for the white guy. Right. Not, not the Sam Cedar part. For Sam, oh, Sam for sidekick. For the white sidekick or the black sidekick? The white sidekick. Oh, he was one of the uh, he was uh, one of the writers in the writers' room. I'm sorry. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was just this crazy crazy white guy in the writers' room, kind of afraid of black people and all this kind of stuff. Got it. But he was really funny. He said, "No, sorry, I can't do anymore. And I just want to do the pilot." Everybody was fucked. Paul Giamatti. Uh, I was gonna guess that. You're gonna Giamatti. guess Paul Giamatti, yeah. right? Because he was he Paul Giamatti. That was like when he did the yeah. Howard Stern movie. Right, it's right before. That's that, when yeah. he first started yeah. popping. He would have made that show stay on the air because he was so hilarious in that part. I mean, he was hilarious, and uh, just the seeing him on stage and just going crazy, the audience just couldn't get enough of it. Yeah, that's one of those funny yeah. things. Like, just be great in everything, and eventually it'll pay off. All right, so not good looking enough for television. Uh, I mean, fair enough. No, that's not incorrect. For comedy. Oh, no, that's wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Okay, so then you left the show. So I left the show, and uh, now I'm trying to piece it all together. So then um, I knew that I needed to make that next leap. Right. right. So I've always kind of guided my career in that way, where it's like, okay, you got to do this, and you got to go forward. And so I knew I... Um, Are you ambitious? You're just a naturally ambitious guy, or well, you're more curious and you want to? It's not so much ambitious. That's a great question. Ambitious. <laughs> it's just like I have things that I want to do, and there's certain things that have to be done in order to do it. Right. Right. So, um, like, I'm not running a show now, and I don't miss it, you know. Right. But at it's the hard. time, I needed to. Oh, it's really hard. Tell me about it. But at the time, I needed to do that in order to get to that point of creating my yeah. own thing. So that was the goal, right? So um, I ended up, uh, I did a pilot with a couple of guys from The Simpsons, and from that, I was able to get, um, let's see, was that before? No, maybe I did the Jamie Foxx show first. I may have done the that first. The sitcom. Yeah, the sitcom. I think Got I did it. that. And, um I'm trying to piece it all together, but I know I, I ended up getting a deal with Disney. And were you like you were? Were you the EP of Jamie's show? Were no, you were just no, I was just a writer. Just a writer. writer. And uh, I got an overall deal with Disney, and uh, from there I created the show, The PJs. 
Oh, right. Okay. Right. And how did that come about? Uh, the PJs came about. Uh, Nena Rodriguez, who was an exec, uh, called me up and asked me if I wanted to do an animated show with Eddie Murphy. And I'm like, Nena, I don't want to do a cartoon. I mean, it sounded like she was talking about a cartoon. An animated show with Eddie Murphy, and you right. were still like, nah. I'm like, what the fuck? I just got this deal. I want to do, you know, I'm thinking of the night. I didn't know she meant a primetime show. You know? Right. Oh, she th- right. you thought she meant like Saturday morning. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, why <laughs> do I want to do that shit? Because yeah. he had just done Nutty Professor. Right. Know, that kind of stuff, you know. So, uh, but then when uh, you know I talked to her more, she said, "Yeah, he wants to do something different on TV. He's, you know, he he and Brian Grazer were talking about it. Um, he had just worked with Brian Nutty Professor, and so I called my buddy Eddie Murphy is. <laughs> I gotta be careful. So I called my buddy Steve Tompkins, who worked on uh, in Living Color with me. He had, he worked on The Simpsons and The Critic a little bit to to do it with me. And we went and met with Eddie, and uh, we hit it off. And um, he said, "Yeah, let's do it." Had you never met Eddie before? Never met him. Never. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and what was your experience with him like? So the Eddie experience, that was interesting because that was a combination Eddie experience and it was working with Ron Howard and Brian Grazer, which right. was kind of heady. And uh, you had Will Vinton Studios, uh, Disney, there were Fox, there were all kinds of entities going on. Right. But uh, Eddie, let me tell you something. I had newfound respect for Eddie when I met him. I, I knew Eddie was funny, but you don't know how funny Eddie is yeah. until you actually meet him. You say, "Wow, he is the funniest guy." Yeah, on, it's not even. The that's earth. the thing is, it's not even close when no, you meet him. Well, the minute you meet him, you're just like, no. he'll he'll make one joke, and you're like, "Motherfucker!" No. Like, what funny. has he done? No, but what do you mean? I mean, what what he obviously was the preternatural most funny person in the world. What happened? To, he did delirious, bad choice raw, after bad choice delirious after bad choice? and raw. No, no I'm not, not asking you what his credits know. are. I mean, <laughs> what happened to Eddie Murphy? He just like? has a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And also, it's hard to know. Uh, the other thing, when you're that funny, you think you can make anything funny. Right. I think. I think you kind of go like, eh. They want to put the money up. They're going to pay me my quote. Right. No, and I'm not trying to like talk shit either. I'm just right. like cu- genuinely curious. Like a guy with a brilliant comedic mind like that, why does he choose? I'm telling you, because at this point in the game, well, why not well, now go? Here's the thing: um, talent doesn't mean you have taste. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just they're not the same thing. Right. But I don't. But I don't yeah. think. Mm-hmm. But you. You. I don't think Eddie has bad taste. I mean, Meaning he, he has bad he's picked bad scripts but but at the same time when there's there's a there's a very finite amount of movies that are even right. that the studios are willing to produce. Right. right. The list isn't long at all. And if you're like he makes twenty million dollars a movie. Right. That's that's a big ass. That's a big that's a nut. Big nut. That's yeah. A big nut. And if it's like, okay, I make twenty million dollars a movie, I haven't done shit in a while. Uh, and they're offering you Pluto Nash, and you go, yeah, it's, I've never done an alien movie. Because uh-huh. um, right. that's the thing about Eddie. He's got the like an encyclopedic knowledge of movies. Right. Like exactly. he'll just he can quote fucking every movie, like yeah. old movies, new movies. And uh, so you just go, yeah, I guess they're offering me this, 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 and this. That one's not ready. That one's not ready. So then you do one. Uh, and then while you're doing Norbit, somebody else makes. <laughs> I mean, he wrote Norbit though, but Norbit was kind of Norbit funny, though. was, but even the premise of Norbit. I remember what was him Norbit and Charlie again? wrote it. Him and Charlie wrote it. It was here's the pitch. Uh, Eddie Murphy plays a guy whose wife abuses him, right. and the wife is also played by Eddie Murphy. Right. You hear okay. that and you go, oh, that's fucking hilarious. Exactly. Uh. But then you, then it becomes that's a funny idea for a it movie. Just has a guy to be who executed. gets beat up. Charlie at the time we were developing the PJs too around '97, and he told me 
many of those stories that oh know, yeah that we ended up doing exactly. yeah no, yeah he Hilarious, told, uh, yeah I watched it, I said this is true this is true yeah <laughs> he yeah Chris Rock said the same uh, the uh, is very funny he's hilarious he but but no that so with Eddie you just get and then it's like you smoke I don't know he's, he he just is into his shit yeah. he's got two hundred million dollars. Yeah. Right. And no, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not. It's unenviable his position. You just yeah. wonder when you have a when the a brilliant comedic mind how you can ha- do ten bad movies though. in a row. It's gotta be difficult, you know, because one of it is volume. You're doing a lot of movies, and it's hard to keep. I th- I think it's got to be really hard to keep that up. I'm giving him slack because I know Here's how funny. He I know is. how, right. and I and yeah. I'll give him slack because yeah. he can't really play a cop again. Mm-hmm. Right. He played. His, he's known for being Axel Foley, the right. coolest cop, exactly. Arguably, you have ever. to play that young. So you either, right. you either you, it's, and I've actually seen him talk about mm-hmm. the movies he's picked, and he goes, he's, I, he was looking at, and he goes, he goes, I don't know if people are gonna think I'm, I can play a bitch, right. In in, in Nutty Professor, but I can't play a vampire. But by right. the way, he, he literally is like, I don't fucking know what people right. are gonna want but, me to do. But I can had, play anything. But he had a run of like these amazing films: yeah. Forty Eight Hours, Beverly Hills Cop, uh, Beverly Hills Cop Two. Here's what I'll say to that. I would, uh, argue, uh, places, uh, I would argue he had amazing success, not necessarily amazing. Well, films. Harlem Nights was so yeah. good, and um, 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 Coming to America was Coming so to America good. is a fucking Coming masterpiece. I funny. actually think Boomerang's the really. I think it's the best black romantic comedy ever. I think it's the really the only one. Oh, I so well, you haven't. Someone hasn't seen Why Did I Get <laughs> What did you say, Cotton Comes to Harlem? Yeah, someone hasn't seen it. Uh, you know what I have? And it's a married. total piece of garbage, <laughs> Cotton Comes to Harlem. You yeah, haven't seen Why Did I Get Married? Two. I saw two. No, you saw number um, two. Uh, no. As well, as the other kid, co- movies like Cotton Comes to Harlem for us, we were like, thank you. you no, know, I know. Red I, Fox is in a movie. Yeah. You know? No, I had that conversation yeah. with uh, a bunch of people right. uh, about, they were talking God about Uptown Saturday right. Night. Oh. And I go, I go, Uptown Saturday Night's not a good movie. Right. And they were like, how fucking dare you? Right. All black people are like, fuck you. Look, it's got the get the fuck out of here. You can't even talk. <laughs> and I go, what's the story of, of right. Uptown Saturday Night? And and Chris Spencer goes, the story is black people made a movie. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's true. I know, but it's not good enough. But then you have movies like Sounder, which were good movies. You know, I don't know. Sa- I haven't seen Killer Sheep, and I haven't seen Sound- Sounder. The- Sounder's good. Yeah. What is Sounder? That was the, um, what was Sounder? <laughs> <laughs> it was the story. The story was black people made a movie. Yeah, and no, I can't remember. The Color Purple, co- and, uh, comedy classics like this. Well, yeah. no, but I'm talking about any any Gosh. black man, you know. Um, yeah. So, but the, uh, yeah, so. So with Eddie, it's like, what's he gonna? The Forty Eight Hours was the only movie he got offered. Right. You know what I mean? It what? No. Right. Beverly Hills Cop was yeah. Was no. the first choice for either of those movies? No, exactly. Right. And they just come to you, and it's like you got to get lucky. So. Yeah, right. But I think Eddie's a brilliant. He I mean, is. he's you he's know, he's, yeah. It's no, like he's, he's fucking. He's my favorite comedian of all time, above not, and beyond. I'm not uh, saying anything negative about his comp. Com- in fact, just the opposite. It's a right. But I feel like if you met him, mm-hmm. you would come away kind of going like, all right. He's very soft spoken. My favorite Eddie moment w- it was at the table read for the PJ's first table read. Right, everybody's there, head of the network. Imagine, you know, you got Ron Howard, all those guys. You know, we're real excited. The whole cast is there. And uh, right before the table read, and we, we were concerned if Eddie would even show up, you know, and I was all ready to do the part in case I had to, to read it because, you know, in animation, you're always reading all the parts and all that stuff. And uh, so Eddie shows up, you know, whew. But then after a while, I look around and he's not there. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> Wait, did he do was it in the middle of the, the read? Like, no, the table read hasn't started. I'm like, uh. was it Eddie's ghost? What, what happened? Right. <laughs> what did I see? And uh, then I heard that 
I think he got a little, um, you know, gun shy or something, you know. And I realized, I thought about it, I said, oh, fuck. He hasn't had a table read in like 20 years. Yeah. You know, since Saturday Night Live. That was in the early 80s. And I thought, well, of course he's going to be a little nervous. You know, I think he was a little nervous. And I think somebody went and talked to him. And then he came back, killed him, just killed at the table. It was one of the funniest. Hmm. It was one of the best experiences to sit at a table and hear Eddie Murphy read the PJs for the first time. But and don't I, I you find even when you're so talking to him in conversation, you yeah. want to record it? Yes, exactly. You're just like, I can't fucking believe I'm talking to Eddie Murphy. I know. And he's it's just so talking sad. about like, oh, this is a delicious piece of food or I whatever. Know. You're like, what? Most of, he, he, here's the analogy. This is how people used to consider Bob Saget before they knew he was funny. Like, if you didn't work in a comedy club and you just saw Bob Saget in Full House, you go, why would people think that he's funny? But if you knew him in the comedy club, yeah. you, you realize how hilarious he really right. was. So it was like, but yeah, ex- ex- mm-hmm. yes, that's the analogy, kind of an analogy. Yeah, yeah, right. But but if Bob had started with, right, that's true. That's if true. your fr- if your introduction to him was him and the Aristocrats, <laughs> right, right, exactly. And then he ended up doing. I always say Aristocats. I always say that yeah. because of the movie. Yeah. Mm. Um, so then you 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 did what? PJ's. Uh, so that and was that that was two seasons. Yeah, we did two seasons of it, and I did. The, I think they did a half season after that. Let me. Did you you left? Yes, Steve and I left. Um, Steve uh, Tompkins, the other showrunner, creator. Uh, the, the show moved from Fox to the WB, and we were just ready to move on. Got and, it. and Eddie left the show too. We didn't. Oh, did it really? Yeah, yeah, we didn't want to go. Let me ask you this question, mm-hmm. just as an aside, and we'll get back sure. to the timeline. Sure. But you spent. I like this timeline. This is great. Yeah. I can follow it. Yeah, it's your timeline. I know. Uh, it sounds to me, from listening to the different mm-hmm. things that you worked on, that you've spent the majority of your career talking about black shit. Right. And uh, and mm-hmm. and your uh, the majority of your project were connected to black culture, or right. con- and then when it was your own project, it was still connected to your own race. Right? Does that still f- feel uh, like I guess why? And does it still feel as fulfilling as it ever did? And what keeps right. that going for? And even your career position on the Daily Show is right. the yeah. Wh- what is that the role of that for you? Well, it's always been uh, a perspective that I've had because I've always kind of been in an insider outsider I'm, I like I went to schools of predominantly whites you know or Mexicans and I always felt like I was at a family reunion not in the family type of thing mm-hmm. I was always having to explain great way to put it. explain my blackness or talk right. about my blackness so it was always I was always, always like a Larry you let me have a question <laughs> like, oh, fuck. I was always aware it was like one long ass podcast yeah exactly <laughs> right and things were kind of changing in the culture a lot too I I was born in 1961 so when I was growing up that was you know Martin Luther King's assassinated during mm-hmm. my childhood and that civil rights movement had moved on to the black power movement had moved on to the the thug rap movement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? That was me. That's where I came in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, um, like, so I was, you know, to me, you know, like I, I, I would do a joke, Mac, I talk about this now, how people say you don't talk black, mm-hmm. you know. And I always thought, well, what does that mean? What it really means is you don't talk black slang. But black right. slang people say is black which doesn't right. make sense to me because martin luther king said yo 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 i got a dream bitch I yeah mean, he never said that but yeah but the german shepherds knew he was black mm-hmm. right <laughs> right well they were so, trained they yeah. were great so there's no so that notion of you have to be in constant in popular culture to be black is i don't understand that you know it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense you know where when i was a kid you know black meant a whole lot of different things you know well that's what it is funny black has changed 
right. meaning probably culture, five yeah. times in, right. a, in a major way in your lifetime. Right. right. I remember exactly. I once I, I once had a conversation with somebody where I said something like that, uh, something right. about someone talk, and he said he implied he was like, "Oh, that's racist. Who do you mean right. he doesn't talk like street?" And I at t- the time was just embarrassed right. and let it go. And then I started thinking about it that that wasn't that isn't a necessary one to one correlation. That's a kind of, but that's really more hip hop and hip hop kind of di- like cracked right. black culture into into all these other races that are I- involved in it and are talk are using the same black slang. Right. But when I think of like you know Martin Luther King's voice, I think a, that sounds like a black voice to me. I don't, does that make make sense? That is essentially the black experience. Well, <laughs> Martin Luther King's father was a Republican. Mm-hmm. You know, very conservative. They're very religious people, very educated. Um, yeah, Today he would not be considered authentically black with those I'm credentials. Yeah, no, no, no you're no, right. No, no, no. no doubt. I'm, just, <laughs> but know, I'm his, saying his way of getting out of the ghetto was through education and family values. Although I, uh, you can make a case right. that he was so churchy. He was very churchy. He would have. He would right, have been right. authentically his, his black. Churchiness would have that's been what, that's either, what I'm I saying. Would say it's either the street. It's, it's either the street church. or the church. Right. Like that's black sort of church. the two right. main identities. Right. But do you find it? Difficult to, I mean, uh, Moshe's question about: Do you mm-hmm. find it tiring, or do you find it uh, repetitive? Do you find it? Do you find that these like sort of yeah. massive cultural shifts? Mm-hmm. Do you find it like, oh, here's another way in which right. this is being misinterpreted? Is it still creatively nourishing to you after it all these is, years? And I found it's a great question. There's always something new to say. It seems mm-hmm. like. I mean, I can look back at my stand-up. I did some things, you know. Of course, Living Color, the PJs, which is more of a satire of the whole culture. I mean, because we did jokes in the PJs. I don't do now. We have one joke where the kid says, uh, he looks at Juicy and says, Juicy, I hope we never grow up. And Juicy says, well, Calvin, the statistics are not favorable. <laughs> 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 that's you know, funny. And yeah. That's a hard-hitting joke. Yeah, that's a, that is a really it, tough joke. It yeah. is a tough joke, but it's, you know, yeah. I love writing. I, yeah. I like finding those little truths. We had a crackhead on the show. I mean, mm-hmm. the, I mean, who puts a crackhead yeah. on the Cartoon, show? And to me, right. that was Otis the Drunk. It was Jim from Taxi. Sure. He yeah. had that lineage. So, you know, he, and I remember I, I had to have a meeting with the NAACP who really objected to the show and I was trying to defend it and they were like you know and I said you know they said yeah they're drinking alcohol I said yeah but you know the the, uh, premier family guy had just come out at the time we premiered I said the family guy the father you know he drinks like a whole can of something he passes out on the table and they said yeah but yours is yours is real I said they're puppets (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're made of clay crackheads that's funny always having to defend stay in college but Smokey was my favorite character to have a crackhead on the show. And my favorite line was, well, shoot, but gotta go. Crack don't smoke itself. <laughs> Peeps, yeah. well stay in college. That's funny because it's true. Well, that's funny the crack. because... Uh, so it's endlessly... Uh, yeah, fascinating. But that's an interesting thing that the, with that NAACP meeting that like mm-hmm. that it can't. And I understand this as a Jew. There's a, it's, it's that right. NAACP thing. I wanted to do a sketch oh, on Chappelle show. You guys have to. Of course, right, right. we right. didn't real. I didn't. But I wanted to do a sketch called uh, which was the NAACP action movie, right. where nothing <laughs> happened. Uh-huh. Right. They were just like, well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to seem. Right. It's all this thing of like I don't want to seem. Frozen, right. It's the. It's the. It's the idea that when you're the only, it's I guess that they're the only image. Yeah, that's the that you become, and that's the thing with with black culture is there's only four or five black shows at a time. Now there's that's exactly none. right. That's well, what I was gonna say is that it can't stand a l- like you making the analogy of Family Guy. The, you know the, the idea is yeah, but that's about white. That's white. That yeah, every that's show is white people, so it doesn't matter right. what they're doing. Yeah. we only have these many shows, so you have to do this for us. Well, here's the thing: when we talked about how the cultures change, like 
you know, like black humor, a lot of people associate black humor as very body, you know, it's very much about sex, deaf comedy jam. It's, it's fucking, we call it stool fucking. Right. <laughs> it fits into like one brand now. Yeah. But it wasn't always like that. I mean, in the 60s, you had all different types of comics who were black. You had Bill Cosby, who was a storyteller. You had Flip Wilson, who was more of an old style, vaudeville type of comic. <laughs> Godfrey Cambridge was a hipster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, Red Fox was your party you know, your um, p- party jokes type comedy right. is what they called it then. Your Red and Fox. Then, and yeah. And yeah. Richard Pryor was opening up a whole new door to what he was doing. You know, so you had uh, many different styles of black comics. And you had Dick Gregory, who was a political comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he'd be your, your Bill Maher or that sort Wouldn't of thing they not all be considered a little dangerous, though? What do you mean? Meaning, like, I feel like if you list, there was something like, like if you had a Dick Gregory record, I feel like it'd be like, ooh, I have a Dick Gregory record. <laughs> I have a, I have a Red Fox record. Ooh, I have a Richard Pryor record. Ooh, like, oh, what do you they mean? were all not Dick uh, Gregory, only Red Fox because. Back then, it was only if something was considered dirty. Mm-hmm. Right, like uh, what I mean is, like, out. if for white people to have these records would oh, be like a it. bit like, ooh, play it after midnight. Kind um, of like do you right. think comedy's getting back to that? Because there is a div- well, like a, a new crop of like, uh, you know, a not. I mean, I have always taken offense to white alternative comics, which is kind of the world right. that I live in, right, right. talking about Def Jam as if it's a. Uh, as if it's a negative adjective, like, right. oh, that's Def Jam. Like, exactly. that, that, I don't need to even further explain. I'm like, that's some of the best shit that's ever happened, so fuck Thank you. you. Yeah. <laughs> it is. A lot so, of it. Yeah. I mean, Bernie Mac is one of the funniest oh, guys forget ever. Forget it. His and Def Jam was the greatest thing It was thing one of the happened. best ever, uh, funniest things on television ever, in yeah. fact. You know? So, yeah, I agree with that. And, and my whole thing was that we don't have to be monolithic either. It doesn't have to be just mm-hmm. one brand. It's that are you d- white people the only people who can think differently? You know, have different right, types right. of thoughts. Say <laughs> so niggas all gotta think like this. You know, I mean, it doesn't make sense. But now you got, you know, you've got. I mean, you you've been around, but there's, you know, Hannibal and Wyatt and uh, mm-hmm. and um, um, yeah, a lot of Bear and Vaughn and uh, right. and and Bert 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 Tunde, uh, uh, and like uh, there's mm-hmm. and W. Kamau Bell there's and people who are too, yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. like W. Kamau Bell is a very political guy. And right. Very, so there's it's I, I feel like there's a, a, a diffuse man I think Chris in, in there helped open that Dave did too right with Dave's style because Dave's Dave to me is an intellectual raw comedian yeah you know his his stuff is so well thought through, you know. And has a yeah, and it's but yeah. you almost don't realize it because it's so well performed. Very sly, yeah. And it's but sly. it's also really like he can do voices and shit, so yeah. you don't. You but it, and it can be it's ignorant sometimes smart. too. His stuff is very smart. His stuff can be dumb too. Like oh yeah, he, has he right. loves permission to be dumb. He, he loves no one. We used to have fights. I'd be fighting not to do poop jokes. Right. right. You'd right. be like, shit, poop it's is funny, right. man. Right. And, and poop is funny. So Woody Allen always did dick jokes. Yeah. Always. All of his movies, you see dick jokes all the time. Um. But anyhow. Talk about Bernie Mac show. So Bernie Mac show, um, I was looking to do another new show, and um, um, I had to deal with Regency at the time, and I saw Kings of Comedy, and I wanted to do show. Here's, here's I wanted to do something that was different. Um, reality was just starting. Um, uh, Real World had been big popular. I think Survivor had just been on. Um, and so I wanted, oh, there was a show called 1900 House. And it was this uh, uh, reality show about this family that had to live as if it was 1900. Oh, I remember that, yeah. It was very cool. And they had right. cameras set up in the house. And I thought, man, that's real interesting. What if, what if you did a show where you just rigged cameras in the house? And the action just seemed real. Instead of being pushed towards us, you know, it felt like we were eavesdropping. Right. You know, because and remember at that time there were no single camera shows. Everything was yeah. multicam, mm-hmm. so everything felt just felt forced. You know, the only single camera show I think was Malcolm in the Middle at the time, and uh, so I thought of doing a show like that. And then when I saw Kings of Comedy, 
I thought, man, that story of Bernie taking care of those kids would be a nice emotional story to drop in this kind of situation. Right. And so I kind of married those two together, and I pitched it to Bernie, and he really liked it. He thought it was good. And uh, then I pitched it to Fox, and they bought it and uh, ended up— But it, it did it—I it, never really thought of it as a reality show. Well, it was. I mean, Bernie talked to the camera. Right. You know, he broke the fourth wall. He had a confessional, which to me the confessional was made up more like the 1900 House confessional where he confessed his sins to us. Right. And they, it more represented his emotional through line in the show it, more than it was for expositions. And that always felt more theatrical to me than confessional. Right. Exactly. Well, it was it was like that on purpose. But the rest of the but the show had an unexpectedness about it, like in the pilot. Um, and it, what's funny is that I'm kind of all over the place. But um, when we were uh, doing the pilot, Ken Quapis, who was the director, we did things like w we watched uh, French New Wave films and right. things like that because we were really looking at I wanted to have a different cutting style and I, I needed uh, the rhythms to be a little irregular. And so I wrote this in the pilot where Bernie is, is talking to us about uh, one of the kids and then we hear him crying and Bernie's like, wait a minute. And then he leaves and we don't know he's leaving so the camera just stays there and it just stays there and we hear him off camera and it stays an extra long beat mm -hmm. and then we cut. So I wanted to have that feeling that we didn't know this was going to happen. Right. And then we cut. And then when we're there, when we come back, we got back a little too soon. And then he enters. <laughs> and did they? Did anybody argue with you about that? No, 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 no. They, did you guys get coverage of the beginning of the baby conversation? No, there was none. None of that stuff. It was. Oh, all, that's interesting. Yeah, nobody that's messed with us at all. Coverage you, meaning they didn't film that part. Right. Like, it was so just that they it happened so that Fox somewhere. couldn't. No, no. Yeah. Fox no, couldn't no, no. force you to no, to no. put it in. No, no, no. I we heard would, we wouldn't have done it. I heard an interesting. But Fox never liked the show. Uh, yeah. But it was successful, right? Didn't matter. Yeah, but it, they just didn't like it. Yeah. Didn't you? Didn't you get fired? I got or you fired left? in the second season after I won an Emmy, a Peabody Humanitas, wow. Television Critics Award, a Nobel, Golden Globe nomination, everything you could possibly win. Space <laughs> Award. Either Dan Harmon or <laughs> Bernie Mac show. Oh, the community. I Except I don't know he if won, won shitloads of awards. <laughs> the difference was uh, uh, right. my brother wins and awards and gets ratings and, and gets fired and they say it's not good enough. And you and I remember at the time Arrested Development did not get ratings. You know, <laughs> did yeah. not get those. And they kept rewarding him yeah. with more money and stay, stay, stay. We don't what do you think they didn't like about it? You know. In my mind, I always said we had creative differences. I was creative, and they were different. So uh, I actually <laughs> used that line in the press, you know, right when I was getting fired. But um, I think it was an ego pull at first. You know, they didn't really understand it. Uh, the head of the network at the time was was Sandy Grusham, and he just never understood it. He right. just he didn't know why it was funny. He didn't understand why people thought it was funny, and he thought it needed to be more like a traditional sitcom, which I thought. Like they wanted the wife to have be snappy and snazzy yeah. and have these lines. Right. I said, no, 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 she's a real woman. She's mm, not no, 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 she's yeah. black, she's black, she's <laughs> exactly. not a real woman. She, she talks like a real person. She doesn't talk in jokes yeah. like that, you know. And so I always had to fight for those types. Of, and my storytelling was very different. Each week I might choose a different stylist storytelling just because that's right. the nature of the story. There was one story where I, each act was the same thing over but from a different perspective. Yeah, like Rashomon. Exactly, you know. Yeah. And uh, there was uh, another story we would have fantasy elements and things like that, you know. Uh, there was one that I loved. It was called Hot, 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 and it was just hot. <laughs> 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 there was really no plot, you know. It was, but it was following uh, Bernie's emotional journey through the episode. Right. Yeah. Burn. Yeah. Uh, well, Carson you know what's cool about Comedy Central is yeah. they didn't understand Chappelle Show and they just admitted it. <laughs> yes, exactly. They literally, after six episodes, they did. They actually said, you know "We don't understand the show." 
that, so do whatever you want. That's how Fox feels about The Simpsons. Yeah. That mm-hmm. I heard them say that. We don't understand it, but their geniuses will let them do what they want. Yeah. You know? how but they wouldn't give you that. Because you guys were getting good numbers, too, right? Yep. What is so Everything hard? Is I don't understand what, what that even means. What do they not understand? They don't under. Lit, we did a, a real world sketch where it was usually the real world's one black guy with all white sure, people, right, and we right, did the reverse. Right, I remember that. All yeah. right. Uh, right, they, that was very funny. A, a executive Comedy Central, who we all know because she's also a comedian, said, um, "I this 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 is a bunch of unfunny scenes back to back. It's literally you don't. It's she uh-huh. didn't even understand that black that black that the concept of a black dude being isolated around all these white people would be crazy would make him Uh crazy and 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 so doing the opposite would be funny right she didn't she literally didn't understand it yeah if you don't uh and and so so dave does the sketch dave sets the sketch up (laughs) the setup got a fucking applause (laughs) break right hilarious on at the taping and i got in her face after when i go i fucking heard what you said about that sketch she goes neil get away from me Uh i I was so fucking crazy by it it just made me crazy like you fucking we wrote this sketch we shot it we fucking worked our ass up and then you just go it's a a bunch of unfunny scenes back to back and after that sketch they said we literally don't understand it's mind-boggling because the person you're talking about if it is who I think it is is a very funny person. Yeah, is a very funny but comedian. But it just never occurs to someone that you. maybe it dulls your brain to be an executive. Maybe you because that's the whole thing that like for the people listening, like the, it's always the the network is always tr- giving notes, and sometimes it feels like they're giving notes arbitrarily so that they can have ha- can have I given don't a think, note. I think it was truly not understanding yeah. how isolating. I, I, it's it's a very broad concept, but I don't think she understood the isolation of being black. Right. right. You I, understand it sounds me? Like, I, I, I honestly, like I, I really think she didn't. Now, this is a totally That's when you separate. You Roscoe's chicken and waffle. No, exactly. <laughs> and, well, no, leave. Exactly. and then they get it. They go, boy, there's a lot of black people. Yeah. Well, what's your problem? Now you know yeah. how I fucking yeah, feel yeah. every fucking day. At IHOP. <laughs> I'm Neil Brennan. This yeah. is how I feel every day. Actually, your life was that real world sketch. I had a separate, the opposite of that well thanks ian edwards who's been on the show uh black dude said that he didn't like um catching the ride because it just seemed like a white dude complaining (laughs) thank you and i was and i and i said like i get it right but that's what white isolation clarify he said catcher in the ride not casher in the ride yes (laughs) my book (laughs) that's the name that's the name of my book oh that's my my last name is casher um uh, thank you well you know what the civil rights movement had well the the 60s movement had two parts to it you had disaffected white youth and you had the black civil rights movement. Right. Those weren't necessarily over. Yeah. Know, yeah. Right. The same yeah. Group. They were mad at the they same cousins. person we, for different we reasons. We didn't yeah. want to go to the war for different reasons. Right. Than yeah. You, <laughs> you yeah. They were cousins, but they yeah. weren't. The sa- that, yeah. Muhammad Ali's reasons for not wanting to go to the war was not a disaffected youth who had ennui from his middle class lifestyle. Right. Yeah. You know. I, I heard. A I heard about Muhammad Ali. I heard a fascinating story about the Australian guy in the Black Power picture from the Olympics. Right. Uh, the guy, the white guy yeah. that's on getting bronze oh. or silver or whatever, and he's not raising his hand, but he's right. uh, he's There's no he, way he got gold. Go ahead. Uh, he was shaking, he was like, he's yeah. yeah right. Oh God, no! But he was actually wearing a a patch okay. in sol- a solidar yeah. uh, some sort of human rights solidarity patch with, and he became right. like the hero of black people in America, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and he was 
ostracized and destroyed Completely. back in Australia. When he went back home for like 30 years, he couldn't compete, right. he couldn't train, he couldn't be in... in Amazing. Uh, and he just got a, p- a public apology from the uh, Australian government n- this year. Yeah, it turns out you were right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he was the Mike Myers of his day. They were the Kanye. <laughs> right. And he was like, well, that what the fuck is going on? Wait, what? Sorry. What were we you saying? We haven't seen Mike Myers That's since, funny. but we've seen Kanye. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so then, uh, so, all right, so that goes to, now, when you got fired, mm-hmm. I'm sure you got a big payout and all that shit. Mm-hmm. No? No, 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 no. no. Just I had a two-year contract at the time, so it was at the end of the two-year contract. So, technically, they didn't pick me up. To continue with the show, there was no big deal. But you still must have had an ownership stake. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But there right. was no, there was no payout up front. There right. was nothing. Right, like right. That. There was no, there severance. was no reward. Right. That there shit no boggles yeah. my mind. The idea of a sh- showrunner creator getting fired from his own idea. Well, they act like I had nothing to do with it. Like I was somehow screwing yeah. up somebody else's thing. They like, gave yeah. you this ship. It's you didn't ridiculous. build the ship. It makes no sense yeah. at all. It's yeah. crazy to me to think of having your own product. Like Dan, that is analogous to Dan Harmon. You create a thing. It's, you, it's from it. your brain, and then they take it away from you and yeah. give it to another person. Yeah. They have no idea. And they have no idea the amount of work it took to, to just do that. And how yeah. and like how right. personal it is. Exactly. Um, right. Did you – okay, so then you – after that, what were you doing? So then, you know, yeah, that's a big crossroads for me because now yeah, I'm that. thinking, okay, I've come this far, and now what do I want to do? You, you must know? have had some money by now, right? Well, I, I, I was successful from when I started at uh, Rick D's. From know? the three so weeks after you decided yeah, to be exactly. successful. That's exactly right. You know. So but you uh, had a you period know what? of... You're, st- not, you're not authentically but black. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> exactly. My period of struggle was about a week and a half yeah, long. Yeah. Success yeah. and articulateness can only be had by <laughs> white people. Right? That is the premise Nick of our podcast. Nick be ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I considered myself successful when I was making $10 a week. Right. So there you go. But Here's um, the... I have some bad news. Nobody else did. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. <laughs> but... Uh, but uh, so yeah, people yeah, I, people are interested in the money that you're making in that. Kind I know. Of thing. It's kind of a, so. How much did you make? No, I know. So I, I, people always wonder that. about. It. But I'm saying yeah. it as a guy. When you said crossroads, right. I assume that you had a bit of money and you were like, "What do I want to do?" Right. Well, I wasn't quite in that position because okay. remember, I was I was working all the time, but I never got like a big payout, right. a big deal, or I like them greenbacks. Those days, you know. But I I did okay. But it, it isn't like you think. I, I didn't get those big twenty thirty million dollars. It wasn't like that. Did, but you must have gotten some significant checks from Bernie after a while. Uh, uh, actually, in the last few years. Right. When yeah. But uh, so at the time, I was looking for a job, you know, just like anybody else. But um, I ended up signing an overall deal with uh, NBC. Um, and uh, I ran the Whoopi show for about six oh, months. Oh, right, right, right. Whoopi who? Uh, good. Okay. Come on. And um, so, uh, and then I was developing a pilot. I did a pilot called Beverly Hills SUV, a sport utility vehicle for <laughs> MC. And uh, that actually went really well. Didn't get on the air. And uh, then they asked if I would consult in the office. And then when I did the office, I worked in that the first three seasons. Uh, I did the uh, diversity day, and uh, I decided, you know, maybe I should start performing. You wrote again. it. Uh, well, we all wrote. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. On, you know how that yeah. works. Um, but uh, B.J. Novak, I think, actually penned that epi- that particular episode. But um, but I was in it, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I thought maybe I should start performing again. Maybe now's yeah. the time. You know, how, how long had it been since time. you'd been doing stand-up regularly at that well, point? Well, I did it spottily here and there, but I really hadn't done it in about let's see, that was two thousand four, five, two thousand four, maybe ten years. Okay. Since ninety three, ninety four. 
So it had been yeah, so it been tw- yeah. yeah. So you did that episode, and then you decided I'm gonna try and get back on stage and be I a creative entity of not so much on stage, but in front of the camera. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, I did a pilot for CBS the next year as an actor. You sold uh, it. You no, I did it as an actor. You I, auditioned. I, they actually asked me to do it. I turned it down like three times because I was busy doing something else, and. Uh, and so I said, okay, all right, I'll come in. I said, um, and you know, I, my career goes like this. I said, well, I'll do it if, if it's not a regular role. Like what right. actor says things like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. And then people want to throw you stuff. Yeah. But I'm serious when I say that because no, yeah. my mind is on doing something else, right? So um, so uh, I ended up doing it, and it, Ed O'Neill's in it, Christine Baranski, I mean, Kristen Ritter. It was this great yeah. cast, you know. It was uh, uh, it was called Inseparable. It was multicam. And, and uh, you were better than all of them. No, 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 no. They were funny. I got some good laughs. Um, but it ended up not going. And after that, I uh, signed with Three Arts, and we talked about, you know, what do you want to do? And, and so I came up with the plan of uh, kind of having one road as a actor, creator, you know, maybe creating my own show, and the other road as doing my stand-up again and, and uh, going towards doing a talk show eventually. So it was that thought in mind. And then... Uh, and I thought, well, I can't really do a talk show. No, I haven't even done stand-up in a while. I don't even have an audience right now. I'm not even sure what my voice is. I've been writing for other people for so yeah. long, you know? Right. And so uh, Dave Miner came up with the idea of, well, what if maybe the uh, Daily Show might be a good thing to do, you know? And I thought, oh, that might be kind of cool. It'd be a way to kind of reestablish a connection with the audience and that kind of thing. And that's how the Daily Show came about, actually. They pitched you. They were looking for a black guy? Or they no, were they weren't looking for anybody, really. But uh, Ed Helms had just left. In yeah. fact, I went to the Daily Show, and Ed Helms came over to the office, kind of crossed. And uh, Rob Corgi was leaving. Colbert had left the year before. Um, so a lot of people were leaving. So the week that I went over there, Oliver had just started, Riggle had just started, Asamambi had just started, all in the same time. So they were looking to change things up a little bit. Right. And I met with John, and th- I, people kind of knew me from, from being a writer and producer. Yeah. So that was the reputation I had going in. So they really they figured I could just write my own bits. Right. So I was kind of more attractive there. I never even auditioned. I auditioned on the air, basically. Did you write your own bits? Yeah, I did. I, I wrote the... <laughs> and then you end up writing with the writer from the yeah. show, too. But, uh, but it wasn't very good when it when I the first one that I did um, in the sense that it was too stiff because you have all those great people in your head you have Colbert and those people Mm -hmm. you have so you have fake correspondent in your head as opposed to like what you were talking about earlier your own voice coming out being yourself right and it's hard not to have them they're fantastic right so in the rehearsal I'll never forget this uh, I was supposed to do two pieces because I was living in LA and they were going to show one later and the rehearsal got death (laughs) I mean, and you could tell people aren't even looking at you. It's like when you yeah. oh want to name yeah. the farm animals because you might eat them later, so you don't want to get too uh-huh. close. Yeah. To uh-huh. <laughs> it was like that. We don't want to even know who this guy is. So yeah. I can feel people not even wanting, wanting to acknowledge that I was in the room. And I could tell it was going bad. And I and uh, I found out that they were going to cut one of them. I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm getting fired before I even start. Yeah. You know? And then John was so cool. Uh, before he show, I didn't know that they he does a final rewrite, you know, and so what I was able to do was during that rewrite, just me and John, I was just able to just put it more in my own words. And yeah. And, I was, and was it partly from desperation? Oh, all that man! I thought it was over. I yeah. swear to God, I thought That's it was such over. a toxic. So was it just kind of like fuck it? Uh, try like was it like I got nothing I, to I lose? I thought they were being nice to me because they right. were feeling sorry for me, you know. And I just thought I'm never gonna do this show again. All this stuff. So yeah. you know, and I'm just at this point, I'm just putting my own words, trying to be funny, 
make John laugh, whatever. And so then right before we go out, um, when we're sitting there, because it was during a, a commercial, then I come out, John just looks at me and he says, Larry, just look in the camera. Just fucking give it to America, man. Yeah. And that was the nicest thing he could have mm-hmm. said to me. You know, it just completely relaxed me. And the first thing I did got a huge laugh. And now my stand-up comic instincts take over. I'm like, yeah. okay, now I got yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm starting to just really feel it and pouring it on. And it, it just killed. I mean, it just destroyed it. Yeah. And now the crew's like, well, when they let this guy <laughs> in? You know? yeah. And plus, my natural persona is if I'm not on, then I'm kind of quiet. You right. Because especially if I don't know people, I'm a little shy and I don't talk much. So I wasn't being Robin Williams on the set. Yeah. Or that. So I was, not only was I not funny, I was quiet about it too. Yeah. You know, in between. So then when I got these big laughs, it was like a big shock. So that was real fortunate. That um, that's great. What a what was story. the first? Yeah. What was the first one you did? Audition on the air. Just think how nerve wracking that is. Yeah, yeah. I can. Yeah. yeah. The uh, and then all right. So you just. So the first bit was about the guy George Allen who made the Macaca statement. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and and I was able to really I caught what the voice of what I should be talking about. One of the things I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do the opposite. Remember you talked earlier about like black Republican or or the black guy sounding white. I yeah. didn't want to just do the opposite of something. Right. You know, and um, I didn't want to at the same time just do the regular black point of view on something too. And my natural point of view is just a contrarian. You know, right. I just like to think of something in a way we haven't thought of it yet. You know, and find the truth in that too. Right. So that's what we kind of stumbled upon. And that became my kind of persona. Like, so I'm kind of confounding your expectations as I'm, as I'm asking. Well, that's for where being a writer comes in handy. It's like right, when exactly. people audition for they, stuff, it wouldn't have been found for. They you. don't real. Right. It's like when someone auditions for SNL. It's like you have to, in order to make other comedians laugh and to and and to make an audience, a right. smart audience laugh, you have to have thought about comedy and work. you have to have created even naturally come to yeah come to like a unique point of view and knowing what's a unique point of view going like i'm not gonna do the simple step of being opposite right that's fascinating because yeah how would a random person know what had been trod over yeah well and that's you wouldn't know you wouldn't know what hack was how would you know what hack was you didn't hear anything yeah you're just you're new to you can always tell like when you watch right an audition or something or even you go to a comedy show and you just go oh this guy hasn't been doing it that long or he just doesn't know that that's he doesn't know not to do that or sometimes i'll look not to put down saturday live but sometimes a lot of the black performers i'll feel sorry for there because i know they're walking into a situation where somebody's writing something for them and it's the black guy yeah and it's not investigated that point of view doesn't have a lot of investigation in it it's just right. surfacey or it's fred harmson yeah. playing the president <laughs> yeah that's exactly. bizarre huh so yeah. okay so you did the daily show and you got your and that started to become a thing and then right. you, you it got took back off right away yeah. and you got back onto the um onto the are we and i had left the, the i had left the office to do the daily show so i was yeah went from offices so i made that transition of really being a full-time writer to mm-hmm. really dedicating myself back to performing and crafting whatever. And you were like a straight-up correspondent the way... Hey, no, I was always a contributor. So I was always doing other projects at the time. I wrote a book during that time. I started doing stand-up again, lecturing yeah. at colleges, I mean, things like that. Um, um, huge pay cut during this time, too, because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't a TV producer. Now I was yeah, a struggling right. actor, really. Do you care, yeah. though, at that point? You got. I mean, um, you must have been paid. Well, yeah. I mean, you do care, but th- if you want to do something, you have to commit yourself to right. it. So, yeah. what are you going to do? But um, talk about the Showtime thing. Sure. Um, so Showtime. So now this is the culmination of all yes. of it. Now. So I wanted to do a show where 
uh, it wasn't just being in New York or Los Angeles talking about the rest of the country. I thought the original idea was Larry Wilmore talks to America. Why would you leave New York? (laughs) (laughs) I don't even understand the premise. Exactly. So um, I wanted to do kind of a travel show where I would go to a different city each time and, you know, and be kind of a micro macro type of thing. You know, the issues that are important there also coincide with the bigger issues, that sort of thing, you know. And um, so that's where the genesis of the idea came from. And I also, I'm more of a, what I call passionate centrist is my point of view. Right. And what I mean by that, it doesn't mean that I'm in the middle. It means that I don't care if what I believe in falls on the right or the left. That's what it really means. Right. You know, so it, it doesn't matter to me because I don't have an agenda to prove something. Right. On side, right. What position do you have that falls directly on the right? Uh, that falls directly on the right? That is the farthest right. Yeah, what's your farthest right position? Uh, well, now I have to think of this shit. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know if we talked about maybe fiscal issues f- first off. Um, I could probably find a lot of them. I just can't think right now. All right, no worries. Um, but uh, I'm with you though. I don't like like I don't like. I think the government spends I way too much money right now. I'm 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 on that train where it's like enough is enough after a certain mm-hmm. point you know you just can't keep doing that you know it just doesn't make sense to me you know so uh so that doesn't make a lot of sense to me i'm also i be- i do believe that uh um production is the key to uh getting the economy going that the people have to be producing something one of the biggest uh declines in america if you look from the 1970s is the loss of production and that's coincides with the loss of the middle class because mm-hmm. we're not producing yeah. things anymore. That's not much of a yeah. right position, though. Well, it's considered a right position because um, but a left the position would be that the government has to intervene in in either creating jobs or in or in stimulating that, you know, where it really is production itself. You know, I, uh, yeah, right. So right. that's why right. I didn't want to talk. Like, so your, right. I- your idea was then to go into the middle of America with your right. I'm to the center, not, not to go up in a tangent, to the right. center of America with a centrist position well, and wherever. do comedy. Not necessarily the center it. of America, yeah. but just get away from LA and New York. Sure, really is what it was. But and even just because that's my point of Which view, is why you went straight to San Francisco. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but it really has just because I say I'm passionate centrist. That's not what I'm putting into the show. That's right. not what the show is about. The show. I say that to let you know that I really am the referee on the show more than. I have an agenda mm-hmm. that I'm trying to prove something. Like I'm trying to prove why you should vote Republican, prove why you should vote Democrat. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I'm more. I want people to have a place where they can uh, say what they want to say without being attacked. You know, so attack yeah. the position, not the person. So that's what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. I love doing that on Twitter when right. someone I'll write a joke, a Republican joke or something, or a joke about whatever. And then someone goes, they'll like they'll come at you like screaming in tone, and then if you come back at them with like equanimity right they a guy literally thanked me today (laughs) for not screaming at him right and i and that happened a week ago with the gun thing like because people are so used to like people come into any sort of partisan battle just both arms fucking flailing and it's like personally these days like it's a personal attack if they're talking about taxes for christ's sakes yeah or whatever you know well yeah because i think people extrapolate out from yeah from whatever the if you're If you want to lower taxes, then you must also want guns and right, take away exactly. my reproductive rights and all that shit. Yeah. Group. And it's my point is, just because I may have this point of view, doesn't mean I'm attached to the whole big group or something. Yeah. I'm not gonna let you categorize me, <laughs> you know, just yeah. because you wanna, you think you can do that, and then you can dismiss me by your categorization. Yeah. Because that's what they really want to do is dismiss you by categorizing. Yes. Oh, me too. So you're like this. People dismissed. People think I'm a Republican be- just because I like Trump. 
I wanted him to win. <laughs> <laughs> Very entertaining, Donald Trump. Um, but anyhow, so that was the idea. And um, I wanted to do, I wanted to kind of, I thought Showtime might be a good place. I knew they didn't have a late night presence. And I thought if I'm ever going to do this type of thing, Showtime w- would be a great place to go. HBO already has Bill Maher. Yeah. You know, and my show, and I knew I didn't want to compete with the entertainment type shows, the, the Leno's, you know, that yeah. type of stuff. That's not really what I do. And I didn't want to do a satire like The Daily Show or Colbert. I wanted to do more of a straightforward political discussion with stand-up in it, with bits in it, like, you know, like the stuff that I've done and all that kind of stuff. So it's a combination of all the stuff. And how many are you doing? You just did one? We're just uh, doing one. And then uh, if everybody likes it and everything, then we'll do some more. And then it, who knows? It oh, could so turn it's, into it's a not a stand-up special? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. It's, a, it's more of a, we call it a comedy town hall. Oh, cool. Yeah. That sounds really intriguing. It's, yeah, so it's more like it's more like Bill Maher's show in its pure form. Mm-hmm. So you s- starting with the monologue, which I kind of call a travelogue, because it's more about the place and about... You know me a little bit. I can't compete with topical humor because we had to tape our show yeah, right. in advance. Those jokes are already done. So I'm doing more what I call current humor. Mm-hmm. So, so if I'm going to talk about instead of what somebody said about gay marriage, I'll talk about gay marriage itself right. as an issue. Yeah. So Do people come up and line up and ask you questions like a town hall kind of? Um, thing? I had a question and answer thing. The show went about two or three hours and nobody left. It was unbelievable, by the way. But uh, we didn't end up using the question and answer. Didn't end up. It was kind of anticlimactic at the end of the show after right. a long time. Yeah. But I want to have that as part of. As How part long of is it? Show. It's an hour. Uh, it's about ends up being about fifty minutes. And Got what's it, it called yeah. again? Larry Wilmore's Race, Religion, and Sex in Utah. And it's already out. Yes, it yeah, came, it cool. came on Showtime came on Saturday. Saturday, and it comes on uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday night again. It's being just look at just and all just, uh, just do a search on your yeah. on your cable box. That's really but cool. I'm, but I'm really excited Wilmore. about it. I tell you, some of the things that I've heard from people is that they really appreciate the fact that I'm letting people have their voice. You know. Yeah. Whatever it is, and uh, I mean, we had a guy who was—you uh, talk about being in your own box. He was uh, uh, the head of the Genesis Group. He was a Black Mormon conservative. Wow. Yeah, and next to him was also an LDS Latter-day Saints guy who was a gay activist and decided to stay in the church and try to affect change by staying in instead of leaving and criticizing, which I thought was an interesting. And story. you can stay, you can be gay in in LDS. Oh, really? I, I don't know. Apparently. You know, they just let black people. Jo- join in 1970. Well, not join, but blacks could become priests in 1978. There was a, at some point there was no black no. membership. No, it's not true. Uh, you uh, just studied it. Yeah, I was just I there for weeks. R- no, blacks have been Mormons since the 1800s. Interesting. Yep. Were they? Mm-hmm. Were they? Was there any? S- well, there were like three levels of heaven, and I think they could only be. <laughs> one oh right, they could only life. get. It was restricted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something like that. Like <laughs> everything else in society. Motherfucker, heaven is restricted. <laughs> well, uh, I I created the Bernie Mac. Why the fuck would you say <laughs> yeah, that? I can't go to heaven. Uh, all right, yo, uh, that was really interesting. You're a good and Thanks funny so. man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so check. Uh, check yeah, it out. watch that show. Thank you. Uh, watch uh, Larry Wilmore, yeah. Race, Sex, Religion in Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, check your local. Do a fucking search. Google Please. this motherfucker. Throw your own Two prayers. L's? Uh, one L. Larry yeah. Wilmore with one L. Fucks with it. Well, thanks again for coming in. Uh, you guys just got fucked with by the champs. Tune in next week for another amazing black person. Now you're fucking with the champs. 